Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kendra Porter. I am a manufacturing engineer with Bell Flight Textron. And this, ooh, that's right. Thank you for the studio audience members participating with me this morning. But we're here to talk about the future of global platform development. What an exciting topic. Again, my name is Kendra Porter, a manufacturing engineer with Bell Flight, and we have two amazing panelists this morning. We have Dr. Markeva Morgan from Boeing, and we also have Ms. Madeline Augustine from Boeing. And I'm gonna have them come up for a few seconds and introduce themselves. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Markeva Morgan, as Kendra mentioned. Uh, I'm the Senior Director and Executive Program Manager for U.S. Government and International Government Head of State Aircraft for the Boeing Company. Awesome. And I'm Madeline Augustine. I am the BDS, which stands for Boeing Defense Space and Security. <laughs> um, and I'm the, the technology strategy leader for that group. And I manage the R&D portfolios of research and develop portfolio around what we're going to need to compete on future campaigns around all our defense platforms. Thank you so much. And for more information, please use the app that is provided, the Bayer app. There's more information available for them. And if you would like to speak with them after the session, please feel free to do so. So we'll kick it off with Dr. Morgan. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, global platform and technology. Awesome. <clears throat> You know, I, being in the defense industry uh, and before before coming to Boeing and being in the defense industry, you know, I spent uh, about a decade at NASA. And so most of my career has been in what I call sustainment-dominated platforms. And what that means is uh, platforms and programs that after they're developed and deployed, the life of the system is much longer than it took to develop it. And, and so in that, in that realm, uh, you know, things like obsolescence become critical. Uh, the same for airlines, it's not just NASA and Boeing, but even elevators, right? When you install an elevator in a building, you expect that elevator to operate for decades. And we don't think about that when we go up and down the elevator. Uh, and over time, um, you know, companies that built this washer or this screw, they go out of business. And so how do you, how do you continue to maintain and upgrade systems that were designed so long ago and need to survive for a long time. And when in, in, in an industry or in facing, facing that kind of sustainment dominated systems, you know, compared with in parallel, the explosion of the consumer electronics industry. So the industry that provides parts and technologies that insert into those systems is motivated by a completely different timeline. Right. I mean, you think about your, your cell phones or cameras, et cetera. Intel doesn't build billion dollar manufacturing facilities for airplanes. They build them for cell phones and, and, the, and they expect us to turn those over every couple of years. So you, you, for systems that are that are intended to operate for decades, but rely on parts and technologies that were intended to operate for weeks and months, how do you bridge the gap? And, and so that is a backdrop of talking about the you know, open source and modularity, which it adds an, an entirely new level to that same problem that's existed since at least, it, I would say, uh, that problem became prevalent as the 80s turned to the 90s, right, with the explosion of the consumer electronics industry. So that's what we, that's what we want, one of, the, one of the perspectives we want to talk about this through is how do you bridge that gap? Uh, I don't know what industries or companies you represent, but if they're anything like the ones uh, you know up here, including Bell Textron, <laughs> it, it's it's a huge problem, right? And so you know we are small in number here today, so I would encourage us to have this less a panel and an audience and more of a conversation among family, because I, I certainly would love to hear your thoughts and your experiences as well. Thank you, Dr. Morgan. Now I have a question for the audience. How many companies are represented in this room today? Who do we have? I see Cummings, IBM. Textron. Textron. Okay, all right, another Textron in the house. <laughs> we have to represent low in numbers. All right, who else do we have? Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman? Paragon. Boeing. Boeing, all right. Paragon. Paragon. What about you, sir? 
Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, Bell. Bell. All right. Let's hear it up for Bell. So, based on what Dr. Morgan's just spoke about, um, help us understand how does a global platform affect your business today? Um, currently, I'm working on the Florida workstations, and we're going from closed source Apple products to open source. So this is directly applicable to our direction on how we want to take this um, and the value of open source projects. Um, I've been in the, uh, the CCI International as a defense contractor business. I've been in that for a while now, and we've embraced open source um, mainly for the nature of it and what it lets you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And we have a new member joining us. Thank you. How you doing? Good. What company are you representing today? Uh, Textron. Oh. All right. <laughs> Textron. Textron in the house. Yeah, Textron is I'm so impressed. Thank you, thank you. Kendra, I comment on, on those. First one, let me give you a caveat, right? So this is a topic about which I'm pretty passionate. So please understand that what I share here today is not necessarily the official position of the Boeing Company. But uh, but my own. Uh, but I heard a couple of things. I heard a couple of things in those first those first two comments. Right. Uh, one was, how do you avoid vendor lock? You know, when we talk about going from an Apple closed ecosystem to an open one, mm -hmm. and in, in your case, it is how do, how do we create uh, a, a speed an agile system that allows for more readily uh, acceptable tech insertion and upgrades. And the reason, the reason I point that out is we talk about open source and we talk about modularity, um, but I'm a big fan of principle over process, right? And so what I mean by that is principle is the foundational thing we're trying to address. Process is simply the tools and knowledge that we have at the time to attempt to address the principle. Most organizations uh, confuse the two, especially over time. Hmm. And I'm sure if you, if, especially if you're in the defense industry or if you're in any sustainment dominated industry, over time, you will find people saying, we do this because this is what the protocol says, or this is what the process says, or this is what the policy says, et cetera. When, without realizing that the reason those things were put in place was based on the knowledge and the tools at the time, that's how you go address the principle. And we forget the principle. So, Agility and tech insertion, vent, avoiding vendor lock, flexibility, those are principles. Open source approaches, modular architectures are process. And this conversation right now is already starting to confuse the two. Uh, for, especially for defense contractors, you know, the federal government, right, and I can, I'll, I'll speak that because I spent 20 years as the government, right? <laughs> The government is is publishing uh, mandates and dictates, um, but those mandates and dictates are process, and that that line is already blurring when you talk about modular open systems approach that is very heavily documented right now in, in federal acquisition. Acquisition uh, when you talk about debates over data rights and, and IP rights with with government customers. Uh, the, those are processes, but the, the point is how do we how do we affect more speed in evolution of capability and change? Because we are in an environment, whether it's in the consumer sector or in the defense sector, in which the environment is changing more rapidly than than the tools we're using are changing. Thank you. And I just want to add some things, and I'm actually glad you brought that point up. So I think. The way I tend to equate, and I use this with my students that I mentor example, right? The things that were relevant 10, 20, 30 years ago would not survive in today's environment based on all the changes we're seeing and the needs that we have and the conflicts that come up as a result of not fixing problems at its core. Um, I always tell them like when I was what, 12, 13, Anytime my mom needed to go find a job, we had to drive to a location, fill out a paper application, sit and wait to hear back and hope someone's gonna give her an interview. We don't live in that world anymore. The time it would take for her to apply to 100 jobs may be six months in figuring out what the company is, where they're located, who's in human resources, what the paper application requires, and does my resume fit? 
And typically, they want you to fill it out right here before you go. You have to drive home, do it, and bring it back. That timeline is now available to you at your fingertip with, a with an app. You can do that with any company, with any event. Hell, I think most people coming to this event looking for jobs went through an app of sort to advertise what they're looking for and what their background contains. So we have that technology now at our fingertips. So that solves the immediate action and, and finding a faster way to get yourself out there to market yourself to land your next opportunity, right? It took me, I'm gonna say, by my sophomore year in college to realize I'm at an advantage that folks before me did not have available to them. I can apply to 100 jobs in two days if I set it up right, versus six months if I had to go figure out who had what and go talk to HR. So just, just a, an example. I think when you look at the way we look at sustaining things that we've had with old data, old information, old ways of doing things, and the challenges we're solving with the new approach, we've opened it up to go faster, be agile to make changes and adapt and pivot and address new things that are popping up as they pop up, and trying to figure out what's the next best thing that we need to go look at, right? So in the role that I play, I am looking at the next 5, 10, 15, possibly 20 years of where do we want to be as a company? What are the things we're going to need to change within our mindset technologically-wise and make sure we're mature enough to demonstrate that and meet all the government you know, requirements and wish lists around what we want to see in some of these systems? So. Um, just think of it in that sense, and like I said, we've got opportunities today that weren't factors back then, and there's much more to come <coughs> as we continue to learn, grow, and adapt to new requirements. Thank yes. you so much. Now, I have a question for the panel, and then I'll open it up to the audience. As we talk about principle versus process in an ever-changing technological environment, what are some of the pros and cons of simplifying those processes? Well, the, the, the pros are, for, for simplification, uh, is inviting more people to the table, right? So, you know, I'm, I, in system design, to me, the, the manifestation of what I'm describing is interface control. And, you know, so the pro of, of good interface control and simple interface control, again, is more people are, are invited to the table. And, and just like a highly diverse organization is more effective uh, because you bring more potential solutions to bear from which you can choose. Simple interfaces does the same, they do, it does the same thing. So you have more companies that say, uh, I, I need something that does these three things and I'm gonna insert it into a system, but I don't need you to care about that because all you need to care about is doing these three things and communicating with this interface and it fits into this hole and this is the boat pattern and right so you don't really really even have to care what the rest of the system is so when you design it that way there are a thousand potential companies who could go do this who have no idea how the rest of that works and that creates a good system the con is if it's too simple you miss something and it, you, you, and it causes problems, right? So that's the, I would say that is, the, that is the con, but the pro is absolutely um, bringing more people to the table and being able to change that out for the new technology over and over. And it, it's interesting because in the defense industry, we behave like this is difficult, whereas in the rest of our lives, this happens all the time. Uh, even in the defense industry, the tools that we use in our offices are just that. You know, some of my, my favorite example is USB, right? So Universal Serial Bus Center is a, it's a standard. Uh, if you have a computer, which I'm sure most of you do, and you connect a mouse to your computer, your computer actually doesn't care what device you just connected. All it knows is it got a signal to move the cursor or it got a click command or whatever. It doesn't know if it was hand gestures or voice control or a laser mouse or a trackball or it doesn't, it doesn't even know what it is. It doesn't care what it is. And that conversation though, when we come to high, more complex systems, we behave as though, you, well, you can't do that. Well, it's, just, it's, the same, it's the same thing. So 
Uh, I would again. That that's that's what I would say are the pros and cons. Hopefully, I didn't steal all of your benefits. No, no, you you hit a lot of really good points. No, it's interesting that you say that. So one of the ones to me that that stands out is the Internet of Things networking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized that I've set up my home to now operate from my phone. Right. I could do just about everything from my phone. Mm-hmm. Turn on the lights, security, alarm, you name it, on my phone. If someone's if I'm not home and someone wants to get in, I can unlock the door and say, "Go ahead, you're good." But um, what we forget sometimes is oftentimes we want them to talk through a network. There has to be processes set up. But at the same time, I'm a big fan. I worry about the cons. The con is we get so ingrained into how making everything work with technology. I always um, have this fear of, and I say this because I'm a big Terminator fan, is the <laughs> machines taking over the world yes. and I can't bypass to get direct <laughs> access. <laughs> So I've created an environment, even though I've got this and I want to be tied into the technology, I still have a hard copy key that I put in the lock and open the door. (laughs) Um, And I'm always concerned about the securities around it, right? How easy for someone to break through my Wi-Fi and connect to everything that I'm connected to. Exactly. Right. So I want to make sure that it's a double-edged sword. Yes, it's great. It makes our life easier. It's a lot faster for me to get in and out. What normally took me three hours to do, I can do in 30 seconds, right? Um, but we tend to lose those basics when we now transition this down the generation. Now, my daughter only knows this cool thing. She doesn't know that what, what it took to get there. So as she grows up, I'm going to teach her the old school way and the new school way. So if ever there was an issue, you can, you can backtrack and figure out what the problem was and how do we fix it. Um, I will continue to note that as we move forward in technology, making things easier and simple, faster, more agile, adaptable, et cetera, folks tend to lose what's in the translation of how we got there, mm-hmm. right? Because it's now the norm. This is the norm of life. How many people here remember the rotary phone? Okay, perfect example. If you gave, if you gave a college student a rotary phone today, would they know what to do with it and how to dial out? gave a college student a but you give them a cell phone they can probably do a whole lot you didn't know what it could do right back in the day it was uh the ti-89 calculator that oh. was the high the hottest thing around math you have that capacity right now on an app on your phone that used to cost me like a hundred dollars to get my first one yeah i still have it by the way <laughs> but all of that you can do plus the programming on an app and I think what I love about what I'm saying, I think I have more apps on my devices than anything else. This is not good. <laughs> um, what I love about things now is you can create your own, you can add your own features, you can see what fits and what. I don't think I've seen a company that put a product up that doesn't have an app to go with it. Right. How many people downloaded the app for this event today? Okay. Hopefully everyone. And that's your guide to everything you need to do, right? Okay. So I'm just... Yeah. that one a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny to say, I mean, the, yes. right? So you look at your, your smartphone right now, there's a button that when you're on the call, there's a button that says hang up, right? And think of, there are adults today who have never actually hung up a phone. That is true. Right? Come on in. Mm-hmm. Right? So you think, it, it, and, and, and now I see some faces on some young people that are like, I never thought about it. <laughs> That I actually don't know what hang up means. <laughs> that actually came from a time when to end a call, you hung up, up the phone. The phone. Like you, you, you physically it put it down. Hung up the phone. That's what that that's what that button means. So right. So again, principle over process. It that has become that that now means in the call. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it used to mean. Right. Right. And and so you're, you're exactly you you're spot on. Right. We the security and that's also a nuance between modularity and open source. Right. Right. Open source, meaning that the underlying technology, the underlying code is readily available for modification. Right. It's very different from modular system design that says this is a tightly controlled interface. And what exists on both sides might very well be closed, tightly protected with intellectual property, perhaps more secure. They just know how they share information. 
So think about it more like uh, the English language is our interface. You don't know what's in my head right now. All you know is what I am using. I'm using the English language to communicate certain things with you. Open source would be if we were the Borg. <laughs> Go old school, right? <laughs> hey, take it. And if we were all telepathically communicating with each other and we could sense and feel and know everything we're all thinking. Now, would that make communication faster? Perhaps more effective? Sure. But how in the world would you protect the things you don't want people to know? And so understanding the difference between open source and modular design and appropriately choosing one or the other for the principle you're trying to address and not because it, it, is, it is sexy and it's the new thing is extremely important because uh, they're, not, they're not similar. Or, or they are similar, but they are not the same thing. So it's interesting you say that. I want to piggyback off that a little bit. You bring up a good point, right? How do you keep them from thinking about everything else? So there's the concern around privacy mm -hmm. when we look at data that is being utilized to do these things in these various systems. And, and just not sure how many people have realized every single thing or process or tool or whatever it is you interface with has terms for privacy because they're collecting your data. What that's being used for, you don't know. Who they're selling it to, you don't know. And I've, I've seen folks that are anti-anything tech because they're afraid they're stealing their information. And I get it. Um, it's like uh, Catch-22, right? What do I have to compromise and give up in order to be part of this new mm -hmm. revolutionary movement that's going to be the norm going forward? Um, and I think there's still a number of debates and discussions around privacy. So I'm like, if privacy is a thing, and has anyone actually read the terms for their privacy stuff? Like literally read every line? You're the one and only. <laughs> Everyone automatically hits yes just so they can get to what they were trying to do. In which case, you're selling a lot without understanding what that means and how it's going to impact you. So just FYI, be conscious of it. I'm one of those strange people that will read everything that's sent to me to make sure I'm not agreeing or selling my soul without really knowing what it is I've signed up to do. Um, but we've become so dependent on some of these things that we are in an instant gratification, get me to what I want so I can move mm -hmm. along. We never stop, pause, and think, what am I agreeing to? If the government were to say tomorrow, I want data on everyone who's ever done X, Y, and Z, they can easily pull it now through these things that are monitoring what you're doing, how you're doing, how fast you're doing, who you're doing it with. So just food for thought. Thank you, thank you. Now I would like to open it up to the audience. I, I, I ask the same question. What are some of the pros and cons that you all see in your day-to-day -day life? So the one downside uh, in my everyday life is things tend to be a little less convenient for me, and that's the thing <laughs> my wife hates me for. Well, she doesn't hate me, but uh, <laughs> it's like, why can't we do things like everybody else? Like just it's like, because I don't, um, and that's how I operate. Uh, for example, things like, oh, my neighbor has a Nest camera and Nest, right? It's like, yeah, but I don't want anything Google. Like my phone, I had a custom OS on it and stuff like that, stripe of every kind of tracking. I run my, uh, I have on my hardware, I run my own, uh, not my own, but open source um, firewall and router software, open, uh, not OpenSense, uh, PFSense, and I control everything that comes in my, in, out of my house. My house, I control from my phone as well, but it's all on an internal network. I have to dial it on my home VPN to get access to them. I know I'm not a typical <laughs> user, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do things a certain way, and but to be part of this thing, right, like this global thing where you have everything available, like it, it takes me a little couple more steps to get access to the same thing. So that's a downside. The plus is my, I have full control of my privacy. I used to host my own email. Now I defer to a company that I agree with their privacy uh, terms. It's Proton Mail. They're very highly rated. Um, I let them handle some of it and then some of them uh, hosted elsewhere. And I have my own domain, so I have like a wildcard email. So for everything I have a space. So like my email for logging to Amazon is Amazon at my domain 
And if I log to Facebook, it'll be Facebook at my domain. So if Facebook does tracking, there's no way for Facebook to correlate that with my Amazon stuff. So like I took, but again, it's tedious. So it's, it's not good. Like these things, like this protection should be default, but they're not. So one of the things we can do is actually, you know, fight to actually make these things more because, you know, government, like regulations, we, we're in different industries. So processes and regulations is pretty much what they do. So we can advocate to have these things uh, be the default, like the European Union is trying in a lot of ways. You know, state company, you have to abide by certain things because we shouldn't have, I shouldn't have to go to all these loops to prevent company from selling my information without my knowledge, right. right? So the downside is, yes, things get less convenient. The plus side is I have control of my data. Um, I have other comments for other stuff. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Any comments from the panel? Well, I'm actually glad to hear that those things work. It's so funny because I was so focused on convenience and easy access and speed and making my life easier. I didn't invest that much time to it, so I know that's a risk. Um, and, and I've actually started to think more of it because now I'm playing snares. Like a lot of it that I did was pre-starting a family, pre-buying a house. It was convenience. My life was 90% travel. I was always on the go. Um, now that I'm more grounded, settled, I love the fact that I can have everything easy at my fingertips, but at the same time, um, I do have, and I, I think it's bad for me because I read scenarios about things that happen around the world that are not what they should be, and I try to overanalyze how could that impact me and work scenarios on how to counter it. Um, what I wanted to say is I think you're, you're taking a good approach and at least being conscious of it. I think it taking a little longer than others you know I think at least you know where your stuff is going and who has access to it but I think that's something I think as a larger group as we continue to migrate to this new platform to this global effort to digitize and accelerate and all that other stuff we need to fight for those rights and right now we're not being asked what we want we're being told what's being what's happening and how it's being regulated we have no choice but to accept or else not utilize it yeah and of course, since you spoke in the in that microphone, uh, everybody in here other than you is now going to get advertisements for Proton Mail. <laughs> it's true. And Amazon, and they are. You won't. Well, we are. The rest of us. Like, have you ever wondered why, when you get on Google or you get on Facebook, all of a sudden these weird advertisements start coming up from a conversation you had in some with some in the car? And no, Alexa is always listening. Okay. Yes. They have to. That's even if they're not interacting with you, and then you look at the advertisement that pops up on their screen. It's based on the last conversation you have. They're trying to sell you something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just, just something. Of, that and, and, and right now, it's it's funny and it's benign, and mo for the most part, right? So uh, we know what they're doing with the data. That that's the whole business model, right? It's mm -hmm. tracking your behaviors to better target advertisements that they sell. That's essentially what's happening now in Spanine. However, uh, as, we, as we move forward, how those data will be used can very quickly change. And, and so it's, it's, serious, it's a serious topic. And again, it really, it really is about, it goes back in this context of this panel, the difference between open source and modular design, right? You, what I heard you talk about just now is a modular design yes. with interfaces that you control as opposed to using open source which now I understand you're using open source things but the reason you're using the open source is because you under because you get to understand what it is and you get to modify it for your use right and which is which is sort of the original idea of general user agreements and that, that was the that was the original idea community-based things we all contribute, like Wikipedia, right? We all contribute, and, and, and the, the theory is if we all contribute, we make it better. Uh, the idea of taking it and customizing it uh, is, in some ways, this is an oversimplification, back to your original question, right? <laughs> is a side effect of the original intent. The, the difference, though, is once, if you are using that, sort, that open source code, Everybody else has it too. And depending on your level of expertise to 
modify it for your own purposes. You can modify it enough that it really becomes yours. And so any vulnerabilities that somebody else could exploit because they have the same common source code go away. But if you don't have that expertise, right, and you use it just as it is, and that, that, that source code has vulnerabilities in it, you are making those vulnerabilities your vulnerabilities. So I'm not, this is not, don't take this as a, as a uh, dismissal of open source approaches or even a negative against open source approaches. To me, you know, as I, as I talk to my daughters, life is about decisions and consequences. So how much, how much uh, privacy are you willing to sell for convenience? That's a decision and a consequence. It's not right or wrong. It's just, you know, when you go sign up for the, the rewards program, at the grocery store or the gas station or whatever, you're you're selling a little bit of privacy for five cents off a gallon, right? I mean, it's, and it's a decision in consequence. And if you're not thinking about it that way, you you, you kind of should. And it's not a right or wrong. It's it's if you're willing to do that, you go to the pump and you're mad because of the price. And they said, hey, if you give me your phone number right now and you agree to send for me to send you text messages. I'll give you five cents yeah, off. Yeah, a little savings. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, and and that's the that's the, the the pro and the con. You know, I um, I admire the fact that you're you're doing what you're doing, and you know, I wish I wish all of us had the the knowledge base to be able to do it, and I want to. Your facial, your, your facial expressions are fascinating. <laughs> I wish that wasn't necessary. Yes, uh, yeah, I that's agree. Fair. No, that, that's fair. We need to have that level of expertise to actually have the bare minimum of privacy. Like Correct. That should be, should be a standard. Yeah. You should have privacy and protected, but that's not what we do today. And I think the funny thing is, I don't think we've realized that we're, we're giving up our privacy as we're trying to rush to get something that's easily accessible. It's because the end, that industry grew in the background. Mm-hmm. And... You know, think about think about the transition. This this some of us will appre- appreciate this, right? Yeah. Some of us don't realize there's history, but before Google, right? So think <laughs> think about the tra- the transition from you know the the salesperson coming to your house and selling you a volume of encyclopedias, oh, which to, I still have, by the way. Right to Microsoft Encarta. Anybody remember Microsoft Encarta? CD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to the app when when the internet became a thing, but remember when you had to how how to search the internet before there were actual search engines. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, you know scavenger hunts on the internet. Like right now, that would be completely useless because you just right. go. You don't even have to Google. go type to Google. You can just say, "Hey Google." Yeah, <laughs> you can talk to Google. I tell I tell my daughters, "Why are you asking me any questions? There's nowhere in this house." <laughs> You could just, wherever you're standing and a thought pops in your head, you could just ask the house. I, I why, why are you asking me? I'm watching TV. Uh, but, you know, but that, but that grew in the background. And it, and it was really more about, even you think about Google's original mission statement of making all of the knowledge in the world available to all humans, right? It, it became, the, what they were offering to us was free email and free, and free searchability. We never thought about how they were funding the business. And how they were funding the business was paying attention to all of the stuff you asked them. And packaging that up as human behavior so they could sell it to companies for the purposes of making their advertising dollars more effective. That's how all of this started. How do you, how do you, the whole market for personal data was built on convincing companies that your advertising dollars are more effective because I can tell you if you send this ad to this person, the chances they're actually going to buy it are way higher. And that happened behind the scenes. And by the time we realized it, it was so ingrained into so much of what we, we, we've come to know is just the norm. Uh, and that doesn't mean it can't be undone. I mean, the, to me, the European Union is extremely aggressive in trying to, yeah, and trying to unravel, you know, un, untie all of those knots and at least give people the opportunity to decide. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I realize a lot of folks are realize when you sign up for stuff, they don't, they don't 
make you go in and put in your credit card information after the fact. They get you with, it's a free trial for 30 days and you can cancel anytime, but we need your information up front. Mm. So if you forget, you're like paying for months before you catch it. But they've made some money on the back. And imagine 100 million people are paying $10 each month for this. Mm -hmm. That's a killing. Oh, and then there comes the company who says, I will will monitor and cancel all the stuff that you give for your information, if you give me your information. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> give me, like give me all the information the for everything <laughs> else you're doing. And I'll... I'll <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the one the other thing I wanted to bring up, so I've noticed when, when it comes to some of this stuff, we're, we're, we're quick to jump on board because it makes life easier. So I'm looking at the group we have in this room by raise of hand. How many people has ever hailed a cab? Do you know what a hailing a cab is? Hands up. Okay. How many of you guys are heavily ingrained as using Lyft and YouTube? Okay, just just checking. So I'm seeing more folks that are coming in and traveling. They don't even go to the cab stands anymore. No. They look. I've got a Lyft coming for me. I can control the when they arrive, how much I'm paying. I can see all that up front. A cab is a guessing game. Is there traffic? Is a is it taking the longest route? That's going to vary. Is it peak hours? Off peak hours? Um, it's weird because I travel to different cities around the world and there are certain things I wouldn't expect outside of here that are just as much of a need and people are taking full advantage, especially if it's a big tourist city around the world, right? Um, and it takes us having either our privacy, our safety, or whatever other things to now go, oh, wait, maybe this wasn't a good idea. No, if you look at Lyft and Uber, they don't own any assets. They're just connecting people through an app, making it convenient to come and go. And you would think from a principal, hey, it's someone that's trying to make a few extra bucks, I'd rather give it to them than a corporation, right? But the middleman is getting their cut. You just don't see the details around it, right? But they're not paying for any assets, any maintenance, or any, any other sort. So they're, they're walking away with a lot. And they're collecting your data and figuring out where the patterns are, who's got bigger needs, what air, airports have, whatever. Meanwhile, the taxis um, companies that are confined by certain regulatory bodies don't have the same luxuries at the time. At the time, and I say this, this was before um, creating your own app as a thing was a thing. I'm like, well, you compete with them by creating your own app and make it easier for them to access you. That's how you stay in the game. But again, old school. My dad was a yellow cab, well, he retired yellow cab driver in New York City. The exam he had to take, he had to memorize every street and every street corner all over the, the New York State area. If anyone were to hop in his cab with that, this was before GPS being a thing, and you had the paper booklets for maps to get around, right? Now, his job was at risk because anyone with a phone that has an app with a GPS could (coughs) steal his customers. Yep. And that's one of the biggest challenges we're seeing for cab companies all over the place. So I think there's a good and a bad and a potential risk in how we're affecting the economy around some of the things we're seeing and doing. At the time, you know, like I said, it's easy, it's accessible, it's quick, it's flexible, we're not thinking, but the impact is, is wider spread than we think, we think about it, right? Um, and, I'll, and I'll even say one of the other ones with, with we talk pri- about privacy, when we look at Alexa and we look at Ness and all these devices at home. My daughter wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and says, Alexa, I want a dance party. <laughs> That's how I wake up. I don't have an alarm system because I know she's going to do this like clockwork because she has a personal relationship with Alexa. <laughs> she takes pictures with Alexa. She watches movies with Alexa. <laughs> When mommy says no and say go to bed, she's still having the party in her room. With Alexa. Because Alexa and her <laughs> got it like this, you know? Um, when you mentioned that your daughter could just ask the question and the, the house will talk to you. To her, this is the norm. She can spot an Alexa in any room, no matter what the interface is, and start having conversations. And I think that's weird. I was like, I think this is so strange to know that this is what a three-year-old is doing, okay? She knows more about electronic devices than I have, can actually admit that I do myself. So I'm learning through her now. I have a question for the floor and the panel, but I'll start with the panel. Do you all believe because we live in a world of instant gratification with technology that it limits creativity? 
or does it open the opportunity to be more creative because we want to be the next person that creates a faster, more successful process? Well, even if it did limit creativity before, now we can just ask ChatGBT. <laughs> and, uh, and so it'll, it'll be creative for us. I, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think it. I don't think it limits creativity uh, as much as it might limit some of the appreciation for the hard work that is required to manifest a result from creativity. Uh, and and that's in all sorts of, of, of things. I, I I think we have plenty of plenty of evidence that creativity is increasing. I mean, it takes creativity to create some of the things that we're talking about right now. A, a lot of the technological innovations and, and that we're talking about uh, require that level of creativity. And uh, and Reynard, I'm not. I I would say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point you out, but I guess I just did. Right? So. <laughs> I, I would love when, you know, after Madeline answers to hear your thoughts, uh, Reynard is, leads our one of our disruptive computing organizations at Boeing. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on creativity in today's technological environment. Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So here's my thing. The answer to me is it depends. If it's someone that's using technology as an easy way out to find the quickest way to a solution and move on, then yes, there's limiting creativity. But at the same time, if you're using it to increase your capacity to do more with minimal effort, yeah. you can fail forward fast and quickly turn around something that you've already tested and know doesn't work and keep it yeah, moving. Right on. Right on. The reason I say this is, I mean, I'll, I'll use a classroom example, right? Back in the day when you given a term paper to do, it, you, you had a month to get it done. <laughs> now you can get it done in a day. Because you can do your research instantly. You don't have to go mm -hmm. to the library, pick up the books, take it back home, read through it, do the shorthand. Like, so to me, when you look at our increased capacity around the things we can do with technology and how we compete, we can play out multiple scenarios and figure out what doesn't work a lot sooner and get to a path that makes sense and we can compete in or even pivot as we're doing it because we're able to get real information that helps us adjust where before that wasn't the case. You, so. you talked about research papers and you triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about, you know, my dissertation for my PhD and how when going through that process today, there are these tools that you can integrate together with Microsoft Word and manage all of your sources so, and, and, and I, as I went through that process, I, I remember thinking a lot, what would I do if I had to do that manually like I did when I was in high school? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't know that I would have survived. I, I mean, it, it, you know, when writing something with, with 200 sources and trying to keep that straight without, like you said, that the added capacity that technology provided. Correct. Uh, and the ability to to follow a rabbit hole, you know, you know, a source and then a source in that source and a source and to be able to follow that rabbit hole, you know, sitting in my at my house, you know, my ability to access libraries. Thank you. Going, <laughs> right, like it, it, I remember oh, the hours that I've spent in oh. libraries. I think my parents used to think I lived at the library more than I did at home because that's where I spent yeah. ninety percent of my time. If I wasn't in class, I was in the library. Bet money on that. I didn't ask Kendra for permission, though, to, to bring Reynard into the conversation. <laughs> oh, okay. please do. Come on. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll make a few comments. So I, I agree 100% with the uh, perspective that these tools are actually going to make you much more efficient uh, so that you can actually use more time to drive creativity while staying productive. Uh, I'll give you an example. Today, you know, I have my employees. I said, does anybody know what ChatGPT is? Um, how, how does it work? It is, it is a transformer, not the, the movie. not the transformers <laughs> from the movie, um, but it's a, it's a type of neural network that's extremely advanced and puts a lot of context to things. But what it, what it helps is um, the time that it takes to go off and look up a numerical, numerical recipe, 
uh, to, to figure out an algorithm. You can take all of that time and put the creativity back into the engineer's hand so they can actually solve the problem that's related to their mission. I was starting to look at statistics for this, but uh, some of the ones that are coming in, it's, it's up to a 200% you know, improvement in productivity in, in some cases. So we're moving aggressively in terms of having individuals not rely upon the answers that it gives, but more about uh, providing you access to those resources uh, so that you can actually use your mind and you know, extract value for the company. So 100% uh, agree with that, with that uh, perspective. Thanks, Renan. Thank you, thank you. So since you uh, called me out, I guess. <laughs> so um, in our history, right, uh, technology has always uh, had the, capa uh, the capacity and always have disrupt our, our way of lives, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you either adapt, some industries are going to adapt and take advantage of it, and then some are going to fall off, but then we have many new things that are going to, um, stem from that, like take uh, the steam engine, um, computer invention, and then now, you know, Internet of Things that we're talking about. So technology will always disrupt uh, the status quo, if you will. But now creativity, I don't, the technology is just a tool, and it's going to give you more capabilities. It's always going to increase. Um, now, create, like, I don't think there's a direct relationship with that in creativity. Now, creative people can use technology to, for, and that's where when you say depends, that matters, right? It depends on how you use that technology, but the creativity itself, I don't think the technology will improve or um, diminish that in any way, shape, or form. A creative person is always gonna be a creative person. Now they're gonna, they, the way they express that creativity can change based on the tools available to them, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't think it hinders it at all. Yeah, and I will just want to add one more thing to that. When you look at creativity um, and the individual trying to get creative with something, they're always trying to solve for a problem, mm. trying to make life easier, seeing the next level, push the envelope on what we can and cannot do. I got introduced to creativity because I like to break things. Mm. Growing up, I was that one kid that would take things apart and try to put it back together and understand how it works. At 13, I built my own computer from scratch. I was at Radio Shack every weekend <laughs> buying parts. Again, that's just me, right? And this was before technology was big and popping, right? So as technology continued to mature, my mindset became wider around how much I can do, how quickly I can do it, and where can I use it, right? Um, the thing that I love about my mom, my mom is not tech savvy but she has all this tech devices. Um, she made me buy her an Apple that she doesn't open for a whole year if I don't come home for a whole year. It's still outdated upgrades, okay? But she, in the mindset, understand that we need to have access, we need to be able to be able to do these things, and she wants to say, I want a class. Not everyone's gonna go sit in a class. A lot of these things that we're seeing now are intuitive on how you get brought up to speed. They don't publish manuals anymore. How oftentimes you buy something that you see a published manual that goes with it. Because the screen will tell you what buttons to push to kind of tutorialize it to, hey, now you can use the product, right? So we've seen evolutions of how having this access and having this understanding and having the next phase in that technology build is incorporated in everything that we do. I don't think having that access diminish creativity. I think it helps propel and understanding what the next thing that you want to go solve for will be. Thank you. We have two questions from the floor. I'll start with you, ma'am, and then we'll go to you next. Thank you guys for the open conversation. Um, you talk about expansion. So during the pandemic, I don't know if, I'm sure you guys actually yes. realized how, <laughs> we all how we expanded, especially for people of color, right, with regards to mental health. So when you talk about expansion and using these platforms where there was such a stig uh, stigma stigmatization with regards to mental health, right, we're now using these platforms to destigmatize it, right, and open the expansion. So I no longer have to go into someone's office. I can now pull up an app mm -hmm. and get tools to support and interventions to help me 
help you help others, right? Manage what they, you know, manage themselves and their emotions. So you talk about creativity. It has opened up a space, not just for us when it comes to technology as, you know, platforms and businesses, but for those of us individually, right? So to get that knowledge and to get that wealth of information when I can just sit at home and not feel shamed, right, about what it is that I might be struggling with, it has just done, you know, tremendous. So I'm going to date myself. Uh, who in here remembered the Jetsons? <laughs> All right, so there's a few, there's a few of us, uh, there's a few of us up in here, there's a few of us up in here, <laughs> but we're, we shouldn't be surprised, right? So if you remember the Jetsons, they were already showing us even then how technology was going to transform. It just took a little bit of time to get there, but once we did it, in the last ten years, it expanded exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to bring that to the forefront: is that the creativity actually was just expanded, not lost in any form or fashion. But thank you guys so much for joining this platform. Thank you. Yeah, so much. you brought up an interesting point with the pandemic. I think the pandemic has forced us to rely more on technology and make exceptions to things that were not a thing. For example, you mentioned mental health, right? Before the pandemic, if you wanted to set a doctor's appointment, they wanted you in the office. Right. They had to physically see you. They would not write any scripts, would not make any recommendation without physically having you come in the office. So you had to either find transportation or wait there. You paying the gas, your hassle, anxiety filled the whole nine yards. Back when my grandmother was a little one, she goes, doctors used to make house calls. They come to you. Right. So did you ever think that the doctors would come to your house to see you? No. But you saw these new apps, teleport, health, the whole nine yards. Now we can interface with you and it doesn't have to be on these open source things. There's privacy, we can record, we cannot record. That became a way of getting the medical needs, whether it be mental health, physical assessment, what do you need me to send over to the, to the um, pharmacy? They don't give you hand scripts anymore. They do directly to the pharmacy, right? So we've been forced because of what the changing environment, changing economy, changing the needs demanded at the time. Now, I think a lot of folks are trying to get back to in-person. And I'm like, you can't go back 100% to where we were at in person without offering these other options. Because we're not there no more. We're in a new reality, right? Even this conference here today has a virtual platform. That is not something I would have seen prior to COVID. So I think a lot of time our changes are forced upon us because we have no other options, so we find a way. We, we find a way to use technology, creativity, avenues that we were told we couldn't do before because there were these made-up parameters. I'm going to say made-up parameters because they were flexibility. They just didn't want to accept those because they wanted it their way. But I see there's a hand back there. We have one question here, okay. and then we'll jump back here. Sure. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Mikael. Can I, yeah, thank you. My name is Mikael, and you guys brought up a lot of interesting points regarding creativity. And before I heard um, your response and your responses, I used to think that creativity required you to solve major problems like taking a rocket ship to space or flying cars, that's what creativity is. But I realized um, after listening to your answer that creativity requires you to solve the simple problems, just um, how to get to places faster, how do we normalize mental health? Because five, 10 years ago, it was always, for my household especially, it was like, pray to God, you need to get those demons off of you, but it is a struggle. But um, even though you guys said that, I did have some questions because you guys brought up a lot of points about how we have a lot of security risks and you know we are selling all of our privacy, but technology is going to continually develop and advance, so there's no way we can ever really get around those problems. So instead of you know constantly, I guess, fearing it, how would you guys encourage and reassure the public to accepting the movement that technology is going? Because I recently did a, um, a research project regarding technology, and the feedback I got was that they weren't ready to accept a lot of future developments, but they're coming regardless of where we are at. So how do we get comfortable with that fact that we're still moving forward? Yeah, the, um, recently I saw, uh, um, I read a story that showed or that reported that we have access to more information than we have in the history of humankind, but we are the, we are the least informed 
that we've been in history. <coughs> and, uh, and so to me, part of the answer, like you said, how do we not fear? We, we fight fear with information. And so some of it is on, on us. And when I say us, I mean all of us, individuals, citizens, et cetera, to be informed about what is happening. And I'll give you an example. So uh, we are, I'm a technical professional. I'm assuming most of us here are, are in either technical professionals or aspiring technical professionals. And, you know, I also serve on some boards of in some academic institutions. And while the knowledge of humankind is expanding and what we do in, this, in engineering specifically is growing, engineering schools are fighting to keep from reducing the number of credit hours required to get the degree because parents are complaining that it, it takes too long to get a bachelor's degree, which presents a unique problem, right? So and you think back if you've ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation and the episodes when you, if you pay attention, because they're not the main storylines, but the episodes where, where they're discussing the teenagers and the young kids and they're just showing their daily lives and they're talking about school and you and you listen to the subjects they're learning in high school i used to always watch that and think okay 100 years from now how are we going to make sure that our citizens have they are aware of and know about what's going on if because k-12 education you know is insufficient the way it is set up right now, right? And so even K-12 plus four is will be insufficient because what is happening, the foundational knowledge that's required is, is going up and up and up and up. And so it, it's being informed. Now, how do we solve that problem? I, I don't know yet. And um, we, we have to, and that's the other side when you talked about, when we were talking earlier about the trade-offs uh, and you said it depends when we're talking about creativity and technology and, and the, the mentioning of if we're using technology for convenience, there's nothing wrong with that unless that convenience makes us lazy. And, and that is that appears to be what's happening. And this is not, you know, cranky guy on a cranky old man on the porch kind of thing. But but, you know, with our children, they see where we are. And there's, I, t I tell my children that right now, I, I, I will, especially since my older daughter can drive, I send them to the grocery store you, because they don't even know. I mean, it's, it's, they need something, they pull out their phone, they put it on the Walmart list or put it in Instacart and they don't even have to go to the, they don't have to inconvenience themselves to go to the store. Like they need stuff and it just shows up on the stoop and it's magic, right? And, but it, when that translates into I don't want to study for this test. Or that translates into, uh, I don't want to put in the work to understand what's going on around me and it, and it becomes dangerous because we, technology can also make things so convenient that you forget the responsibility you have to care for yourself and the people around you. And that's a bit of an extreme connection, but I see a lot of heads nodding. Like if you, if you think about it, that's what, and so to me, we, we, we're going to have to force ourselves to be informed. Thank you. And, I, and I'll echo, there is a balance. To me, I'm not saying it's bad, but I think you need to be aware of mm -hmm. what you're closing your mind to because you're so keen on the rewards and the, the quick access and the fix, right? Mm -hmm. um, I see today a lot of young kids having addictions that didn't exist before mm. to electronics. When I say addictions to the point where their response and reaction when you pull it away is the equivalent of someone going through withdrawal. Because this is all they know. This is all they've been exposed to. They've never been outside to play. Like, like when I was younger, go play outside till the sun came down. If the, if, if the lights posting come on, you don't come back in for dinner. Get thirsty, okay? get thirsty, drink out right? of water. I was riding my bikes, making new friends around the block. I mean, we were good. This was my yeah. summer. Yeah. I was active, Yeah. right? Nowadays, a kid, and it's so sad to say, my brother, this is the first time I knew this was a problem. My younger brother sat in front of a computer game for 16 hours straight and forgot that he a, needed to sleep, eat, and use the bathroom. 
that's where, to me, we need to draw the line. This is why kids now have screen time and they're on schedules, okay? Um, for me, when it comes to the things that, and, and, and I know you mentioned that we sell our data. We don't sell it because we're not making a profit. <laughs> People are taking our data because we're signing this waiver saying we don't care if they have it, and they're using it to their advantage to make money and sell information. Um, what I want to note is we, as a democracy, have other powers that can enforce that we put bills and regulations and, and kind of force these things. But as a mass, no one here is talking to their councilmen and saying, I want a bill that prevents my, my privacy and this needs to be number one, not on the back end of things. Because we just kind of go with the flow. I mean, it wasn't until the recent Trump push that everyone was like, I need to go register to vote because we can't have this reality again, right? So. And, I, and I, it, it upsets me a little bit because I would say, like, if y'all knew what our ancestors went through, lives lost to get us here to vote and make our voices heard and we're not part of the, the solutions, it, it hurts. I want to make sure my daughter is well-educated on all of this. This is the standard of what we do. We protect, we get informed, we get involved, and we have an impact. And I thought, to me, that's the only way you hit that problem ahead on not after it's become a critical mass and outside of your control to do anything because so many things are now tied in, it's convoluted. You can't detangle it. I think the European Union at least is taking the steps to address it. That is not even a discussion here in the United States that's on the, the floor to be a conversation. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Hi, how's it going? Uh, my name is Greg McMurtry. I had a question. Um, Slightly related to creativity, but with a slight tangent. I know you mentioned before it took about a month to write a paper. Now you can do it in a day. And you also mentioned ChatGPT, the virtual options post-COVID. Um, and my question with things like ChatGPT, which are able to essentially write code, write essays, or even with this change in conventional thinking with, you know, you can't work from home, but then COVID happens and you can't. Uh, do you think the 40-hour work week will ever be revisited at a certain point when we hit a certain level of capacity, or do you think it's just going to result in people, whether being there, pushed harder or just increased company profits, or do you think it's going to be revisited? I, I think it's already being very revisited. Now, will it, will it be visited as a policy? That remains to be seen, but I think it's already being visited. There are plenty of companies who are who are changing from how much time are you trading for your salary to what outcomes am I getting from you for your salary? And whether you produce those outcomes in four hours or 40 is irrelevant to me, right? And so then it becomes, if you can produce these, this outcome, which is valued at this in four hours, it becomes a mutual discussion. Do you want to give you know, 12 more hours to produce, uh, you know, three more, three X, four X of that outcome. And then employees, especially younger employees, uh, I've had this conversation. I can do that in 20 hours. So I, it, not this directly, but the, the sum of the conversation is I either want to make this much money as the peers are making, even if it takes them 40 hours to do what I can do in 20. And I need you to understand that in the other 20 hours, I'm going to be mountain biking or I'm going to be playing golf or I'm going to be doing other things, <laughs> right? right? Or if you expect me to contribute 40 hours, I need you to recognize that my output is 2x my peers and I need to be compensated accordingly. Mm -hmm. and, and so that conversation, that conversation is, is happening right now. Uh, and I think it has been accelerated by the gig economy of people, speaking of apps, right, people who get to decide. I will go do this thing and it's gonna, I'm gonna get compensated this much and I can choose to do as many or as few of them as I want, whether it be driving for Instacart or Lyft or Uber or any of it, you know, even now as a handy, you know, I choose my handyman and, I, and now I know mine now, but in the beginning you go, there's an app and I mm -hmm. go say, I need somebody to do this. And somebody will say, well, look at that and say, I can do that and this is what I wanna charge. And I have no idea that person might decide to work 20 hours a day and just rack it up and I'm going to do it for three years and then I'm going to retire or I'm going to do one a day. So uh, it's a great point. And, you know, Renard was talking about earlier of the technology's capacity to make us more efficient. 
And that plays into this is it, it plays into it as well uh, that as we get more efficient, we get to we get to start deciding. Um, I'm, I, this is a you know I'll end with this you know the the, the elementary physics equation force equals work work times or work equals force time displacement, and uh, that is an outcome equation, right? You know, the old school of we measure work by hours is is forgetting the displacement part, right? Theoretically, if you go push on that wall all day, if the wall doesn't move, you exerted a bunch of energy, but you didn't do any work. Mm -hmm. And that evolution of what we, how we view work, work is outcome, results, et cetera, and how much force was required of you to produce that work versus me, should be irrelevant to the company. It should be we are compensated for the work. I'm, I'm actually glad you said that. And, and I, I appreciate this question because I feel like a lot of people don't realize COVID broke a lot of barriers around things companies says they couldn't do because they needed you in the office. They needed to watch your hours. They needed to see what you were quote unquote doing. Yet your coworkers sitting there taking a nap, just waiting for that clock to hit and go home. Right. right? Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. When I first started working, I was like, I'm ready to impress a whole bunch of people. I'm working long hours, I'm working overtime, I'm coming on the weekends. And I had my lead go, why are you working so hard? You finish everything so quickly, I don't have anything else to give you. I wasn't getting paid more than him. Hell, I was getting a fraction of what he was making, but he's telling me, stop, you're doing it too quickly. Even though it's right, it's still too quickly. I need this to last the whole week, 40 hours. That's what we got to do it in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why would I wait 40 hours to do something I can do in two? That never, that never made sense to me. So what I did then was start learning other things outside of my area so I can better improve myself, right? When we look at the evolution of what we've seen since COVID and everything going, you know, virtual, remote platforms, some companies have given up owning physical buildings and everyone's working 100% virtual because they saw more productivity with them working from home than them being in the office. Now, note that may not be the case for every business model. Some are providing hybrid schedules, so you have time to be able to go home and do the things you need to do at home and still log in. But um, I think from uh, what's the next step in how businesses are run and the different models that will fit, knowing that we need to find a balance between family life, work life. Because if you look at the 40-hour the work week, the times that you would need to be able to do regular things, go to doctor appointments, prepare, the whole nine thing is during the bulk work hours. So that has to pivot and change. As long as the work gets done, the value is realized, and you deliver, I don't care how you do it. I, I prefer you do it in less time so I can find something else for you to do and keep on getting that productivity out of you. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's a me. I think you should be paid for the value you bring and the things you execute on. Thank you Thank so you very much. much. Thank you. Um, we are actually out of time. So I want to say thank you so much for, for listening to this great panel. Please give them another round of applause. And as a reminder, if you have not already, please go into the app and click the link for this session to get your continuing education credits, all right? Thank you, and we will see you soon. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much.